just gonna mute you. Okay. Blog Talk Radio. everyone, and welcome to Intersections Matchmaking's Talk Radio, a monthly holistic lifestyle show focused on the continual evolution into the best versions of our authentic selves. We and our special guests discuss relationships, social dynamics, and health and wellness, each of which contributes to meaningful and fulfilling lives. This is Jess Bina, your host. I'm a former practicing lawyer and the founder of Intersections Match the only national personalized matchmaking company focused on singles of South Asian descent nationwide in the U.S. I'm very excited to welcome Rachel Greenwald to our show tonight. Rachel is an international best-selling author of Find a Husband After 35, using what I learned at Harvard Business School, and most recently, Happen a Hello, Confessions from a Thousand Guys About What Makes Them Fall in Love or Never Call Back. Rachel has appeared on the Rachel has appeared on the Today Show, CNN, Nightline, and ABC News, and has also been featured in the New York Times, People, Fortune, The New Yorker, Cosmopolitan, Glamour, and Oh, The Oprah Magazine. Welcome, Rachel. Thanks. It's great to be here. We're so delighted to have you. And as a professional matchmaker and dating coach, I'm fascinated by insights and perspectives regarding relationships. I've thoroughly enjoyed reading your most recent book, Have a Met Hello, Confessions from a Thousand Guys About What Makes Them Fall in Love or Never Call Back, and would love to explore some of the insights shared in your book. Now, your book shares insights gleaned from interviews of a thousand men of various ages, ethnicities, and geographies throughout the country. Why don't we, why don't we start with three of the top, um, I think you have ten reasons in your book. So why don't we start with, why don't we um, work with three of the top ten reasons the guys did not call the woman back after the first date. You know, I'll read each of these three aloud for the benefit of our listeners, and after I read each one, I'd love to give you the opportunity to explain, share with the listeners how they can tell if they themselves tend to fall in that category, as well as give our listeners some suggestions as to what they can do about it. Um, and again, there are ten in your book. Let's Let's do three of them. So the number one reason... He didn't call back. You characterize as the boss lady. Tell us about that. Yeah, I'll tell you all about the boss lady, and it's just important to sort of set the context about what, you know, how this research was conducted, though. I've spent 10 years doing exit interviews on a 1,000 guys, and basically these are the former dates of clients of mine who I worked with as a matchmaker and they didn't call my client back. So I tracked them down. My client gave me their phone number, and I called to find out what happened and didn't accept any bogus or vague reasons like there wasn't any chemistry or, you know, oh, I was just busy. You know, I really wanted to get specific details. So in these conversations, the number one reason being the boss lady is a description of a woman who was a little more aggressive and argumentative and masculine. And the man concluded that she was terrific, but he'd like to hire her instead of date her. And it's funny because a lot of the women will hear that and they'll say, oh, he was just intimidated by me. And, in fact, the men were very clearly saying that they were not intimidated. And I probed that question a lot because I really suspected that was the case as well. But they were just saying they weren't sexually or romantically attracted 
to a woman who was the boss lady and reminded him of someone that he worked with. So that was really kind of the gist of the number one reason, but it played out in very subtle ways. So, for example, some women were just argumentative in his mind, but in her mind she thought she was just sparring with him or bantering with him. So there's a story one guy told me that I think really summarizes this concept really well. Um, they were on a, a guy and a girl were on a date, and the menu was in front of them, and he said, well, let's share an appetizer. Why don't you pick anything you like except, um, you know, except the curry, because I don't eat curry. And she said, what, you don't eat curry? Well, why don't you eat curry? And she went on for a couple of minutes kind of arguing with him about the curry and asking all sorts of questions that, you know, she thought she was just kind of playing around or bantering. But, you know, Mm -hmm. she asked, you know, are you allergic to it? Or, does you know, did your parents not try to introduce you to new foods when you were younger? And he just said, you know, it got exhausting. And he, he, he thought, you know, this is she's just a difficult person. And, you know, it would have been so nice for her to just say, oh, okay, you don't want the curry, let's order the artichoke dip. And he thought, you know, this is really symbolic of the kind of person that I am not looking to marry because I have a very challenging, you know, work life and I'm arguing and and being challenged by people all day. And when I come home, I want to feel like someone's on my side and that, you know, certainly I want someone intelligent and I want someone to – you know, be a a great conversationalist, but there's a difference between being argumentative and being a good conversationalist. So that that was sort of a really interesting description, I thought, that that symbolized this whole category of uh, women who were more the boss lady than a partner. Interesting, and that's the number one reason you came across, it sounds like. Right. And, you know, a lot of this category also, by the way, had to do with femininity. And it wasn't just about the, you know, verbal sparring, but also about the way women looked. And if women looked more like someone professional that he would encounter at the office, then he was less Mm -hmm. attracted to her. So, you know, in the research I found out from these men, as as they were confessing the real reasons why they didn't call back, Mm -hmm. they... um, we're really saying that women should look more like a girl, you know, no blazers, no pants, um, no short power haircuts. They were more attracted to women with longer hair who wore skirts and high heels and, you know, who dressed in a, in a shapely way, not boxy jackets. Mm-hmm. Um, not slutty, definitely. That, you know, wouldn't symbolize a woman that they were interested in marrying, but someone who, you know, had some flirtatious clothing on. Great, and I love that because that's a, you know some very concrete tips. Is there anything else, any other suggestions you could give our listeners as to what if the, if they have an inkling that they they may possibly sometimes tend to fall within the boss lady? Um, any any suggestions as to what they can do about it, how they might be able to preempt that? Yeah, there are a couple things. I mean, the probably the biggest thing is just to simply change the delivery of the way they speak, to be really conscious of not, um, you know, delivering their comments in a challenging or argumentative way. And so you can still challenge something he says by asking a question, but it's all in the demeanor. You know, try to be more gentle and... Um, fun rather than challenging and argumentative. So, for example, if the guy says, um, you know, I, um, you know, I read this particular book and I thought it was fantastic. And if the woman thinks the book is terrible, she could say, you know, one of two things. She could be really challenging and argumentative and con- confrontational and say you're kidding. You thought that was a great book. It was terrible. I don't know what you could be thinking. You know, this, it was an insulting book to, to women or, you know, whatever. Or Uh you could say, Uh that is so interesting that you thought the book was good. You know, I had a different perspective. I thought there were, you know, a couple of um, issues that, 
you know, really bothered me, and here's what they were, and I'd love to hear your opinion about that. Um, did you think about it in that way? And it's just really a delivery issue. You can still present your own opinion, but come across in a softer way, and that goes just such a long way. Um, and then, you know, another another angle, too, is sort of along the concrete advice um, aspect is something, you know, sort of a, a little bit different. And a lot of women who are very successful and powerful in their careers have the mindset that they want to marry somebody who is their equal or better. They want someone with an equally challenging and prestigious job and an equally challenging or prestigious educational background and income level and all that kind of stuff. And the reality is that there's a big difference between what you want and what you need. And I think a lot of women really need to re-examine if they are sort of the alpha female, they will do Mm -hmm. much better with a non-alpha male you know, with a man who is more nurturing and kind and maybe more understated. Maybe he's in a in a smart field but not necessarily making as much money. Maybe he's a teacher or a scientist or, or a chef, you know, something like that, that might really have a calming influence on an alpha female and make her happier in the long run and certainly provide a more balanced domestic life you know, if you have two alpha personalities trying to manage and negotiate a household later when you get married and have kids, um, you know, I can tell you that does not lead to a very happy marriage. Interesting. Yes, a complementary partner. The thought, you know, the concept of looking for a complementary partner, not someone that is necessarily, you know, someone mirroring yourself. Right, exactly. um, Definitely. And I think, um, actually, what's interesting, I think the, the, statistics and kind of demographics of this country are changing so rapidly, you know, given that there are a greater number of women college graduates than men in this country at this point, and the numbers of women going into professional and, um, you know, getting the advanced degrees, I think that is definitely something for people to keep in mind. Um, Now, there are number two reasons that you found um, in your research that he didn't call back. You characterize as the blah. Can you tell us about that? Right. The, the blahs, B-L-A-H-S, uh, is a very interesting um, category that I found. And it's, a, um, it's basically a, re- a reason that is um, that the date was boring. And it wasn't that, that the woman was boring, that the man mm-hmm. just perceived that the exchange of demographic information on the date turned out to be a boring evening. And so it's very interesting to think about how um, online dating has really changed the, um, the nature of dates. So there are more first dates than ever before in the history of dating because online sites have made it so much you know, easier to connect with more mm-hmm. people. So mm-hmm. you have to remember when you go on a date that you know, he's probably been out with three or four other women that week if he's serious about finding somebody. And mm-hmm. so there's so many more dates that people are just tired of the same old information exchange. And so if you go on a date and you start asking boring questions like, well, what do you do and where would you grow up and how many siblings do you have, that guy is just going to be so bored because, first of all, he's been on several other dates that week where the women have asked all the same questions and he just feels like he is sick and tired of dating. And also, one of the things that the guys said in this category was that a lot of women are perfectly nice. They, there's nothing you know, overtly wrong with them, but there's also nothing to sort of tip the scale. And so a lot of times I would talk to these guys and I would say, well, why didn't you call her back? And, you know, what was wrong? And they would say absolutely nothing was wrong. Truly, you know, she was attractive. She was smart. She was nice. I guess the real question is what was missing that didn't kind of push me over the fence to call her back? And I don't know, but it was just kind of, 
you know, a, a date that was fine but nothing special. And in this day and age, your date has to be really special for a guy to be immediately drawn to you because he has so many options. And, you know, women have so many options too. It's really the Internet is the culprit here. And so guys were going out with women that they would say, you know, oh, on a scale of 1 to 10, she's an 8 or maybe even a 9. But, mm-hmm. well, you know, I'm looking for the 10. And so uh, they have the illusion that the perfect date or a more perfect date is just a mouse click away. You know, the Internet has given us the illusion that there are infinite opportunities out there. And so nobody is really taking the time to get to know you anymore. And a first date, everyone thinks like they can just tell. They can tell immediately. And the reason they're, they have so much bravado to say that is that there are just so many more choices. So it's a very interesting phenomenon, and the blahs as a a category really implies that you have to do some homework before you go on your date. And you have to really think through some good stories or funny anecdotes or, you know, interesting tidbits about your background that you want to share so that your date isn't just a demographic data exchange like a census taker. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in the in the book, Have a Met Hello, I provide a whole list of 20 good questions to ask your date that won't make him yawn. And, um, you know, they're really sort of fun questions designed to provoke unique um, dialogue that's a little more creative and stimulating and energetic than just describing the fact that you have three sisters and you grew up in Cleveland. Excellent. So 20 tips. Wonderful. Um, now, let's. I know you have 10 reasons um, in your book. Let's jump down to the, to actually um, the eighth reason you give. Um, and the number eight reason um, you give in your book as to why, um, why the guy didn't call back a woman, um, you characterize as the Debbie Downer. Can you tell us about that one? Yeah, this was really a, a fascinating reason because a lot of women – were labeled by men as a downer, the Debbie Downer. But in fact, the woman was shocked because she considers herself an upbeat and positive person. And so I'd start to probe with these interviews, you know, with the men, why do you say she was a downer? Why was she negative or complaining or cynical or bitter? You know, these are all the words that they would use. And yeah. it was they would just make such snap judgments. And so here's an example of one I remember. Um, there was a guy who um, met a woman uh, for a drink after she had just landed from a business trip. And so she came directly from the airport to the restaurant to meet him. And so she arrives, and the first thing he says to her is, how was your flight? And mm-hmm. she says, oh, God, flying is just awful these days. You know, I was in the back row next to the bathroom, and it smelled, and I was in the middle seat, and it was just, you know, a terrible flight, you know. And and so he he used that as an example to talk about how she was a complainer and kind of the, the person who saw the glass as half empty. And there were a few other things on the date where, you know, she made some negative remark, but you know, nothing really serious, just, you know, she wasn't all, you know, rosy, sunshiny. And so I said to him, well, you know, let's examine this airplane example, because if you've ever been on a plane in the last five years, it (laughs) is awful. Everything about flying today is terrible. What should she have said? Did you want her to lie and say she had a terrific flight? And he said Uh to me something I'll never forget. He said, you know, I understand that flying's terrible. I guess I'm looking for the kind of girl who finds the one good thing in a negative experience to focus on. And so even if the flight was terrible, maybe she could have just said, you know, flying's really challenging these days, but at least they didn't lose my luggage. Ah. I thought that was fascinating, you know, because it really is underscoring that 
everything you say on a date becomes a metaphor for what kind of person he thinks you are. And, you know, he doesn't have a lot of data on you. A first Mm -hmm. date might be, you know, coffee for an hour at Starbucks. And so in one hour, he knows almost nothing about you. And all he knows are just an accumulation of little things that you tell him that you think are very harmless. And you probably don't even remember half or a majority of things that you said. And so that is really a, a great lesson to learn, that every little story you tell, every little anecdote becomes something that he's going to project onto you as the type of person you are. Yes. Okay. I, exactly what you said. I find that all the time with the feedback in terms of they're just um, exactly like you said, an hour, two hours even is, you know, in a lifetime in terms of the database the other person has on you, it really is so limited that um, it is really important that, you know, everything you speak there uh, or just realize that what you're saying, there is, you know, there's going to be a huge projection as to each, you know, each thing. That's right. That's fascinating. And, and you know, yeah. also this, this Debbie Downer category also mm-hmm. highlighted to me that everybody wants a positive person as a life partner. Mm-hmm. You know, who wouldn't? You know, even the most negative guys want a balance and want a positive person, even if they're negative themselves. And it's not like you have to pretend to be all happy and positive every moment of your life. But in the mm-hmm. beginning, the first couple dates are such a minefield. And, you know, women should know that one of the most important attributes that the majority of men are looking for is someone who's positive. And so, you know, later when you get to know somebody, you can certainly complain about what a bad day you had because he'll know that in the grand scheme of things, you're allowed to have some bad days and some negative experiences, but that overall you're a happy person. And he's had more dates and hours with you to know that one story about a bad airline flight is not reflective of your entire outlook on life. And so, you know, that that um, translates into body language as well. So if you're leaning slightly forward and your shoulders might be a little slumped, you know, that is a symbol of your energy level, you know, so throw your shoulders back and sit up straight, have good posture, and, you know, just cue yourself to remember maybe like every time you take a sip of your drink, let that be a cue to remember to put your shoulders back and to sit up straight and to smile, and all that just kind of you know, signals to him that you're a happy, positive person. And that goes such a long way into getting the second date and beyond so that he can really get to know better, you know, all of you. Great. And um, that's great for some, thanks for that concrete, those concrete suggestions too for our listeners who feel they have an inkling they may sometimes fall into that Debbie Downey, Downer category. Um, actually, one more one more concrete yeah, tip too. Great. Just okay. Don't don't wear all black. There are so many uh, women, especially in New York, who love uh-huh. to wear all black clothing, and men think it's like the Italian widow costume. Yeah. <laughs> so definitely, even, oh. even just putting a little color in your wardrobe signals that you're okay. more of a happy, positive person. Interesting. Okay. Very insightful. So there are so there are ten of them in your book, right, Rachel? So we hit three of them. Um, so there'll be seven more um, to check out. And now, for the benefit of our male listeners, why don't we talk a little bit about um, the top? You know, I think you have five reasons in your book um, that you've been, you have the top five reasons women decline second dates. Um, let's talk about two of them. And you know, I'll read each of these two aloud for the benefit of our listeners again. And after I read it, I'd love for you to give you the opportunity to explain again. So um, the number one reason the women decline second dates uh, with guys is uh, you characterize that as the puppy dog. Tell us about that. Yeah, I um, certainly turned the tables after I interviewed all these men, and I went out and interviewed women as well. And I did um, a survey of 100 women and basically asked them why they declined a second date with men. So the number one reason I categorized as the puppy dog, and this was the um, 
you know, where women complained about men who were too eager to please them. They were sort of um, almost wimpy. They seemed um, overly nice. And I want to, you know, clarify that it's not that women were saying they didn't like nice guys. They didn't like overly nice, almost sycophantic nice guys. Mm-hmm who seemed desperate or weak. And there was definitely a fine line between nice and overly nice. So the overly nice guy that they didn't respond to just reminded them of a puppy dog. You know, they thought he was sweet, and they they certainly, you know, felt a little sort of pang and maybe even felt sorry for him or, or you know, thought, well, some other girl is going to be lucky. But ultimately they felt like he just didn't have an edge. And so one example of that was a guy who um, wrote several gushing emails before he even met the woman for a first date. And he, you know, they had an online um, email exchange and a couple exchanges that were really good. And then in the few days leading up to their first date, he started sending her emails that said, you know, I've started saying your name Jane over and over again and it sounds nice and I wake up mm. thinking of and anticipating our date. You know, it's just too much. And Wait, this is before the this is before the first date. This is this, the, is even this example. Yeah, this example is yeah. before the first oh, wow. date. Okay. And so okay. then you know, they go that sets the tone though for the first date. So already she's kind of a little put off. And then they go on mm-hmm. the first date and he's just overly flattering, you know, and he says, Oh, you know, I I just can't get over how beautiful you are and oh, you know, I um think you're just so fantastic in all these ways and you know, he just, men, or I guess women were saying that they were almost disappointed to receive these excessively flattering compliments because, number one, they didn't seem sincere, and mm-hmm. number two, they, they became annoying because um, it, it almost feels desperate on the guy's part. So it just reminded them of a puppy dog who was just overly eager to please. Ah, okay, the puppy dog. And, and, you know, it's interesting that the contrast between the number one reason that um, men said they didn't want to see a woman again was basically that she was too masculine. And mm-hmm. here women were saying that the number one reason they didn't want to see a man again was that he was almost too feminine, like he had feminine characteristics of, you know, not being the strong, aggressive male that, you know, that has an edge and that, um, you know, makes her feel like, you know, she is very um, taken care of and protected. And so that, I thought, was a very fascinating contrast. Interesting, yeah. Um, Wow, okay. Now, the number two reason um, that the women you interviewed actually declined second dates, um, you characterize as the yuck factor. Yeah, so the yuck factor was such a funny category, and I'm sure every woman listening can relate to some of these things that um, you know men uh, did or or looked like that were just such major turnoffs. And basically, this is around men who were grooming, challenged, and um, in many <laughs> cases, bad kissers. So you know, this was the um, category where women just thought, you know, I am just repulsed. So, you know, one woman told me about a guy's skanky toenails protruding from his open-toed sandals. And, um, you know, another woman talked about some crazy blonde Albert Einstein haircut this guy had. And, um, you know, then there were women who talked about guys who needed nose hair clippers or you know, ear hair clipping and, um, you know, just they they couldn't even stomach the idea of kissing him. Um, a lot of them just dressed really badly. You know, they had T-shirts with, with you know, silly slogans on them that seemed inappropriate or, um, I don't know, just all kinds of, you know, unappealing ways that the guy um, – presented himself and this was not women saying that a guy wasn't handsome it was saying that there was something about his grooming and his clothing that was such a turn off um, and then a lot of women talked about men who just 
were such terrible kissers that, you know, one one woman talked about a guy who kissed like a blowfish who attached himself <laughs> to her face and started sucking. You know, another one talked about him French kissing where it felt like he was swabbing the inside of her mouth, like, you know, he was trying to secure a DNA sample. <laughs> So there were a lot of visuals from that. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, it wasn't pretty when the the girls got into it. Um, So, you know, they're basically men. The advice to men is that they really need to get a couple of female friends to do an intervention. And it may be the, you know, his sister or his female coworker or, you know, some Mm -hmm. woman in his life who's really going to tell him like it is and not be overly polite and worry about hurting his Mm -hmm. feelings. Because men really need to know. Even if it's something as simple as he wears too much cologne, you know, a lot of guys just go overboard with the aftershave and the cologne. And, you know, just from the beginning, it's an olfactory problem. <laughs> well, the great news about that one is I think, sort of, I mean, the kissing is a bit, a bit might, might be a bit more difficult, but in terms of the grooming, in terms of the clothes, I mean, that, is, that stuff is so easily fixable. Like you said, if someone just there's a reality check or someone just kind of tells it like it is, um, something that can be, you know, resolved pretty, I'd say, pretty easily. So that's, that's right. kind of the good news on that one. Um, exactly. Yeah, let's turn, let's turn the tables one more time, Rachel. I know you interviewed like, a thousand, um, you know, men with respect to, uh, you, know, you know, for the book. And um, you also share in your book the, um, you know, the top five reasons that, the guys did not call the woman back, and this is what's fascinating, despite a great first date. So despite having a great first date um, and men not hearing back from the guy, and you get five reasons. I thought, why don't we go through two of them? And um, so, again, these are, the top, these are two of the top five reasons that great first dates do not lead to second dates. Um, and once again, why don't I read those two reasons aloud for the benefit of our listeners, and then after I read them, uh, you know, would love for Rachel to um, to explain. So the number one reason that uh, the guy didn't call back, and again, this is despite a great first date, you characterize as the Sadie Hawkins. Uh, tell us about that, Rachel. Well, the Sadie Hawkins, I don't know if um, anyone remembers from their high school days, um, is a common term that means that the girls pursue the boys. You know, the girls might ask the boy to the Sadie Hawkins dance. And so it really just um, was a a very um, old-fashioned reason in a way. You know, this was the scenario that the guy said, you know, the date went really well, but, you know, I guess after the date there were some things that kind of deflated me. And so a guy um, talked about how if a woman pursued him in any way after a good date, in subtle ways even, that he kind of started to lose interest. And some of those subtle ways were if the woman texted or emailed him right after the date, like sometime in the next 24 to 48 hours, and Mm. she you know, followed up after she had already thanked him that night. You know, she, if he had paid for dinner, she thanked him profusely. She said what a great time she had. And then yet again, she follows up afterwards by texting or emailing. He started to feel like she was pursuing him, and she became the Sadie Hawkins. And a lot of guys said very clearly that they appreciated that thank you email or text. Mm-hmm. Absolutely Many of them, it was not that they were complaining about it or thought negatively of it in and of itself, but then they started to realize that it became a symbol that she definitely was interested in him and wanted her wanted to go out with him again. And as soon as he felt that, he started to lose his momentum. And so this, you know, took some probing on my part. I mean, guys didn't you know, weren't immediately aware that this was even happening. But as I started to find out why they had this initial interest and then lost it, it became clear that men like the hunt and the chase. And if they had a good date with someone, they want to be the one to make the next move and feel like they can win her or they're pursuing her. And these very subtle things like the thank you email or text were making them rethink their decision. So a woman's perspective is that she's been told it's polite to send the yes. follow-up thank you and that mm-hmm. it's expected 
Um, and, and, you know, to be candid, this was not a unanimous category. There are men out there who deliberately look for the thank you email before they even have the confidence to ask her out again. But the majority really said um, that it was something that deflated them and made them rethink their decision to ask her out again. Interesting. Um as you really, because like you said, I mean, I get that all the time in terms of women's, you know, but isn't it the polite thing to do to send that email or that, um, you know, but I think, um, and you had mentioned too, just during the date, really being um, gracious um, is is important in terms of, um, you know, when the guy does, does go ahead and pick up the tab, just being gracious at that time is great. And, you know, it sounds like that for, for many guys is, is sufficient um, in that sense. Yeah, about you know, they, they want to feel like you appreciate their gesture, but it's mm-hmm. also not just about paying the bill that you have to express appreciation. Um, one mm-hmm. of the things that, you know, I did in my research was a, a very big component about why men do call certain women back because, you know, what we've been talking about today is a lot of why they don't call back, but there's a very mm-hmm. big component about why they do. And this category of appreciation was huge. And a man felt like he didn't want to just be thanked for um paying, he wanted to also be acknowledged for doing something thoughtful, or at least he appreciated it. So, for example, if um, the man um, suggests a restaurant in the woman's neighborhood and doesn't expect the woman to go out of her way, that's very thoughtful, you know, for him, especially depending how far he lives. You know, let's say he travels 15 or 30 minutes out of his way, out of his neighborhood to go to the woman's neighborhood. Just that gesture is thoughtful, and it doesn't involve exchanging money. And for her to say something like, you know, I really appreciate that you came all the way over to this part of town, that goes a long way and so look for opportunities to thank him for things other than what involves an exchange of money ah so we acknowledge and appreciate okay right. yeah, i think that's true yeah so, and that's a great start for any relationship because i think you know throughout the relationship i think that that feeling appreciation is one of the most important things so um if at the outset you're showing yourself as someone who can really acknowledge and appreciate um, I, I could see that going very, very far. Now, and the, the number, and you have five reasons. Let's jump to number three. So the number three of five reasons that he didn't call back um, despite a great first date. And I love this one because, you know, our, our, our audience, our listeners tend to be, you know, highly educated people with tons of things going on in their life. So I love this, uh, this third reason. And that is you characterize it as the busy bee. So tell us about that. So the busy bee was a category where men said they had a good first date, they wanted to see her again, but she was so busy that they had trouble scheduling the second date. And, you know, certainly I can relate to this. I'm one of the busiest people out there myself. I know all your listeners are. You you are, I know. We all are. You know, in fact, I, I think it's funny where – you know, everybody these days says, you know, hey, how are you? And you know what the number one answer is to that generic question? Oh, busy. You know, busy says your best friend. Busy says, you know, your parents, your your coworkers. Everybody's so busy. It's like busy is the new fine. People used to say, how are you? You'd say fine. Now they say, how are you? You say busy. So, yes, we are all busy bees. But when a guy is trying to see you again and the date has gone well, it's important that you fit him into your busy schedule and not make him feel like he's not a priority. So, you know, there are a couple really tactical ways that you can do this. You know, if you genuinely have, you know, the next seven nights booked with something else going on, um, and he says, you know, I'd like to take you out again. Are you free on Friday? Well, if something really important is going on Friday, look at the rest of, you know, the surrounding days and figure out something that you can cancel because, you know, he is going to get frustrated and move on to somebody who does make him a priority if you don't. And in the beginning stages of getting to know you, where the first couple of dates are happening, he doesn't really know how great you are and how worth it you are to wait for. 
So you can't have too many excuses about all the millions of things. You know, your college friend is coming into town one night, and it's girls' poker night the next night, and you've got to go visit your grandma in the nursing home the next night, and, you know, all these crazy things. Cancel something for him, and don't feel like you are compromising your standards or your female empowerment to make a change in your schedule to go out with a guy you really like. And also don't tell him about all the other crazy busy things you're doing. So if he says, can you go out Friday night, don't respond by, oh, no, I can't go out Friday night. I've, you know, I've got to work late and then I'm preparing for a, a presentation on Monday. And so, um, you know, I can't go out Friday. I'm, and Saturday is out, too, because I've got my bowling league and, you know, definitely Sunday's out because I'm going to go out of town for two days. Don't tell him all that stuff. Just simply say, when he says, are you free on Friday, simply say, oh, I'm so sorry Friday doesn't work. How about Tuesday? And that's it. You know, that portrays you as someone who is, you know, certainly leads a, a life of her own, but is not so busy that he doesn't feel like a priority. I think that, I I love that, um, I love that insight. And you had mentioned empowerment, and I think in terms of a mindset shift, in terms of true empowerment, I think is having your priorities and being able to actually align, you know, your actions with your priorities. And to the extent that someone's priority is finding, you know, a life partner or finding a significant other, um, I think it's empowering to actually align yourself that way. So that um, that makes a that really resonates. And then in terms yeah. of, um, and it seems to go full circle to you know you had mentioned initially about the online dating phenomenon and how there just seemed to be you know, there there are a lot of everyone men and women you know a lot there are a lot of choices out there and if someone's not available you know there very well be could you know be many others who are and so if it's just too hard to get together with someone, I mean, I could, you know, I, I think men and women alike, you know, can just kind of move on to the next. Um, so I yeah, think and there, there's nice. a momentum, too, you know, where you might have had a great first date and there's sort of an excitement that follows it. And if it yeah. takes, you know, a week or two weeks or three weeks or whatever to see somebody mm-hmm. for the second time, the momentum has just fizzled. And it, there's just something really important, like you said, about making your actions consistent with your words. And if your priority is finding someone special and finding love, then you have to put other things below that priority. And that means not working as late so that you have more free time, um, you know, not following through with all your other commitments right away you know you've clearly filled your life with other things like book clubs and friends and vacations and busy jobs because you didn't have love in your life and so something does have to fall away and men use that as a symbol of what it would be like to raise a family with you and so if they see that you have all these other priorities besides your relationship then they start to wonder well what's going to happen when she has kids and you know i i really want someone who's going to put our family first and she just doesn't seem like the kind of person who'll do that Ah, uh, okay. Very interesting. You know, Rachel, this has been. Oh, go ahead. Did you? Well, I was gonna. I was gonna say. Um, how much time do we have left? We have enough. Go please. Go okay. ahead. We. Uh, yeah. Well, I was gonna. I was gonna say that um, the other, um, a couple other comments I was gonna share about what men are really looking for that makes them call a woman back because that is so important that you don't just avoid these mistakes that we've been talking about, but that you are proactive in showing him all the reasons why he should call you back. And one of the ones I thought was really interesting was um, what I call the Miss Easy Breezy. And I have in the book, Have Him at Hello, um, five top reasons why men do call back. And Miss Easy Breezy was a fascinating one for me um, personally because I am usually not easygoing. And this <laughs> okay. was 
this was a um, a vibe that a woman gave off on a date that she was easygoing and that mm-hmm. she could go with the flow. And it translated in little ways, like if she ordered, um, say, a salad with the dressing on the side and the waiter brought the salad with the dressing on the the plate um, mm-hmm. and she just went with it. You know, she's – and instead of sending it back or making a fuss out of it, she just kind of shrugged her shoulders and said, oh, you know, what are you going to do? And then ate the salad with the dressing on it. You know, just little things like that go a long way. You know, someone who um, doesn't um, make a big deal out of little bumps in the road on the date, and that, again, becomes a metaphor where the man thinks that, you know, she's the kind of girl that – you know, when the going gets tough in life, she's the partner I want because she's not going to fly into a rage or she's not going to struggle to adapt to new situations and, you know, new conditions. And again, remember, they're projecting everything you do and say becomes a metaphor for what you'd be like as their future wife and future mother of their children. So it's important to kind of look for opportunities on your date to prove that you're easygoing. You know, like if he teases you about something, tease him back. You know, you don't have to become upset about it. Um, You know, if you like to camp, for example, you know, a girl that likes to camp is a great symbol of someone who is able to, you know, handle the rough patches in life. You know, talk about things like camping or other ways that you're not an uptight or spoiled person. And that really went a long way to assure a man that, um, you you know, you'd be a good partner in life. You know, don't make anything up. Don't go around saying you love Mm -hmm. camping if you don't. But find other things like camping that sort of show you as easygoing and talk about those proactively on your date. Uh, Easygoing sounds like, you know, not high maintenance, which I hear a lot from men in terms of what they're not looking for. So Right. um, Great. I love the emphasis on, you know, okay, so here's some things, you know, kind of stay away from it. Here's some things, to, you know, on the positive note of, to do. I like that. Um, you know, based on your research um, and your speaking with so many men and women, um, Rachel, if you can give our female listeners a um, just a, a take-home message, and, and you've given many already, but if there's any kind of um, other take-home message that you might share, um, what would that be? Well, just in in my dating experience, I mean, uh, you know, after interviewing a thousand men and a hundred women for, you know, my newest book, Have Him at Hello, I kind of was reflecting on why I've been able to make so many matches between two people. You know, I'm responsible for over 750 marriages. And I was trying to think after all this research, all the conversations I've had, all the couples that I've seen walk down the aisle, what is the sort of the lesson that I've learned more than anything else in all this experience? And I would have to say that it is this that the person that you are ultimately going to fall in love with is going to come in a completely different package than you expected. And this is a really, really, um, you know, significant piece of advice for listeners of, you know, both men and women, because we all go around saying all the things that we want. You know, we have these wish lists and these lists of um, things to check off and things to avoid and all of that, you know, it might be some objective criteria like he has to be six feet tall or she has to be, you know, 120 pounds or lighter or, you know, it might be something along those lines that's that's more physical. It might be um, along the lines of, you know, common interests, like I have to marry somebody who likes tennis or I have to marry somebody who is, uh, you know, my same religion. And a lot of these things are really a product of the Internet boon where it seems like you can get online and build a date according to exactly the interests that you have that you want to share with your partner or exactly the attributes about your background that you want to have in common. And the truth is whenever I've seen two people fall in love and they're you know just about to get married or they've just you know walked down the aisle and I say to them, you know, how, how did you find each other? What was it that drew you to each other? 
the answer is always, you know, I was so surprised that this is the person I fell in love with. He was nothing like what I thought I wanted. And, you know, it just has been really powerful for me to observe that again and again, that the things you think you want may not be the things that you need. And you have to be really open. So I, you know, for my matchmaking, I have a three-date rule. And I make everybody go on three dates as long as the first date wasn't horrendous. You know, if there was something absolutely terrible about the other person, they were disgusting or rude or inappropriate in some way, then, okay, then the first date can be the last date. But as long as the date was, well, it was nice, there was nothing special, or you know, it was okay, then I make them go on three dates because I can guarantee you only one thing, that you are going to fall in love with someone completely unexpected. I would love to end on that because I think that, I love that take-home message because I find in my practice that, so, you know, the, the idea of the person you may, may end up being very, very happy with being a package other than what you might expect is something, I think I say that daily. So I, I really appreciate that you had, um, that you, um, you likewise had, had the same, um, have had the same experience. And, um, and that's interesting with the, with the um, three dates. Cause I tell, you know, I tell our clients, all the time that, you know, if there are no deal breakers that have come up, you know, in that, you know, first meeting, you know, definitely, you know, give it another try. Even if you're not sure if there was a spark, you're not sure about the chemistry, you know, see if it's there by, by giving it a chance. So I, um, I, I love that. Um, and I'd really like to thank Rachel for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, once again, if you'd like to... Um, you'd like to learn more, there's several more insights in, in Rachel's book. Um, and again, her recent book is entitled, How to Met Hello, Confessions from a Thousand Guys About What Makes Them Fall in Love or Never Call Back. Thanks, Rachel, so much for and being here. You're welcome. And feel free to send me a friend request on Facebook as well. I'm the Rachel Greenwald in the Harvard Network. And I love to stay in touch with all single people. So um, feel free to send me a friend request or visit my website at rachelgreenwald.com. Wonderful. And in case uh, any of you listeners joined us late or would like to share the show with people in your life, I'd like to remind you that today's show will be archived and available as a podcast on Intersections Match's website, which is www.intersectionsmatch.com. I can be reached just Dina at intersectionsmatch.com. Appreciate your hanging out with us. Do email me with topics you'd like discussed in future shows. And make sure to join us for next month's show on Sunday, May 23rd at 7 p.m. Eastern, when we'll be speaking with Lori Gottlieb, author of Marry Him, The Case for Settling for Mr. Good Enough. Have a great night, everybody. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.